Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Contrary to what you're thinking, uh, I haven't worn this shirt because it's about summer fruits. Um, I actually just, this is just my normal attire. That uh, I'm quite an introvert, so I figure if I dress uh, with loud shirts and things, that might balance me out a bit. Um, so we are looking at kindness this morning. So when I was thinking about this message, I thought, well, I, I wanna, you know, what is kindness? So I thought I'd go to the dictionary to look up what it actually means. And here are some things that the Webster Dictionary defines as kindness. It says, a favour, mercy, sympathy, compassion, goodness of heart. So essentially, kindness is basically an expression of love or love practised in action. One statement I came across which I loved was, kindness is love made visible. So I thought, that's true. Kindness is love made visible. And this morning what I want to do is actually look at one of the most popular parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because I think in this parable, Jesus shows us how love is expressed in kindness towards a fellow human being. Now in this passage, Jesus has a conversation with a lawyer. Now when you think of a lawyer, don't think of, you know, today's sort of modern type of lawyer. A lawyer back in those days was someone who was an expert in the law of Moses and its application to everyday life. And Jesus essentially tells this lawyer, you know, what, what, are, what, what should you be doing if you're a follower of God? And the lawyer says, well, you love God and love your neighbour. And Jesus says, that's correct. But then the lawyer goes on and asks Jesus another question. He says, well, you know, who really is my neighbour? Now, there's a context here because we know that in those days, most Jews can find neighbour to mean the nation of Israel. So a neighbour was a fellow Jew. And the question provided Jesus with an opportunity to define what neighbour means and how someone who loves God would treat their neighbour. However, he didn't answer the question directly. He actually told a parable. There's lots of times I find fascinating when Jesus is actually teaching, this is a bit of an aside thing, but there's lots of times where people ask Jesus directly a question and he answers it in some, you know, using a parable or some kind of saying of the day and they have to, he forces them to think about it. And he tells this, this young lawyer this parable. And via this parable, teach, Jesus actually teaches us that ultimately it is the need of a person not their nationality, not their education level, not their social status or anything else that's important. What's fundamentally important when it comes to kindness is is the need that is there, not the person. And so Jesus begins. And he begins in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 35. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho uh, is about just over 25 kilometres. And for the most part, it's a rocky desert kind of terrain or landscape. 
And there's lots of caves along this journey in which uh, bands of robbers would kind of hide out. It was actually known in those days as the Red Road or the Bloody Road uh, in consequence of the frequency of violent or vicious crimes. Here is a man, he is robbed, he is beaten, and he is left half dead. A couple of weeks ago, I went crabbing with a friend of mine out in his boat. Uh, I always said I have a curse when I go fishing because I never catch anything. And so I've you know, been saying for many years that I'm, I'm cursed when it comes to fishing. But I went out with this fellow and uh, essentially, uh, you know, we reached, the, we reached the, the fishing spot and I said to him, what's the worst catch you've ever had? Now, this guy puts on Facebook, you know, he catches between a dozen to 25 or so sand crabs. He said, four is my worst, but that won't happen. After a couple of, uh, you know, outings into the ocean, we came back with three. <laughs> and so I said to him, I told you, and he, uh, he just looked bemused. He is one of my, uh, I would consider him to be a very close friend. He is one of the most gentle, one of the most encouraging people that I know. A very loving person. I actually went over to his place and looked at, uh, just uh, to view his gardens. And he's got everything in his garden flourishes. He's such a nice person. I kind of envisioned in my mind him just sort of waltzing past the plants and they're just flourishing, you know, because his presence is there. He's such a nice fellow. I, d I didn't put a photo up of him because I didn't have time to ask, but he tells a story of when he was about 19 years old and he got off a train station over at Bracken Ridge and he was walking home and he had an old walk, you know, the old walkman used to put your tape in, listening to music. And he said, I was walking home and all of a sudden he got hit from behind. And a group of thugs punched him, kicked him, he fell to the ground. They stomped on him. They took his, you know, his, his walkman. They essentially left him lying, literally lying in the gutter. Thankfully, someone came to his rescue and left, he was left in hospital for a considerable period of time. It was a violent, unprovoked cowardly act. He's such a nice person. In our parable this morning, Jesus doesn't actually focus on the robbery, but on the violent ill treatment of the traveller. Where it says there they left him half dead, the full force of that expression is very difficult to interpret from the, the, the Greek in this passage, because the Greek actually contains an element of chance. So as far as the robbers were concerned, it was a mere accident that any life was left in this fellow at all. Then Jesus goes on. He said, a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Now Jericho was a priestly city. And wealthy priests who lived in Jericho would go up to Jerusalem to perform their official duties. So here's a person after a time of spending in Jerusalem telling people about God and what God desires of us. His official duties are over and so he's on his way home and the priests walk straight past the man. I thought, why? Why would the priests do that? Well, maybe he's afraid, I thought. Maybe he's afraid of meddling with a man whom robbers had just attacked. 
Maybe he's thinking, I could get out of here. I could be the next victim. It wasn't uncommon for bandits to, you know, to use the habit of uh, playing decoys. And so they, one of them would uh, you know, pretend to be beaten up and lying on the road. You'd go up to help, and then all of a sudden you would be the next victim. And so I wondered, maybe the priest thought, I've just got to get out of here. Or maybe the priest thought, well, no one was here to actually notice my conduct. Consequently, he kind of neglects the, the part of the law where it says to show compassion. And he moves on. Having looked into it, I think it's much more likely that he's afraid of actually incurring ceremonial defilement by touching a dead body. Jews in those days did not touch dead bodies or they would be unclean for seven days and then they would have to go through certain rituals and procedures. And he may have looked at the person and thought this was uh, a corpse and he thought, I'm not going to touch this corpse. Interestingly, in those days too, many actually believed ceremonial defilement could actually occur even if your shadow is cast upon the deceased person. Consequently, he doesn't just walk beside him. It tells us he goes right around to the other side to make sure not even his shadow is cast upon this person lying in the road. So in this situation, the priest is more concerned with ceremonial purity following a religious ritual than actually showing compassion and kindness. And then Jesus moves on. He says, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now a Levite is another person you would expect to stop and help a person in need. Their very occupation is to teach about God. And this person, uh, probably concerned again with ceremonial law, does exactly the same thing as the priest. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's an older movie, a great movie. In the movie, there's a wonderful song. It's a kind of a prayer or a hymn called God Helps the Outcasts. It's a kind of a sober hymn that's sung by a gypsy woman, Esmeralda, who asks God to uh, have, uh, you know, sort of pity on her people who are being overlooked by those around them and treating them poorly. And Esmeralda begins this kind of hymn or this song by realising that Jesus Christ must also have known what it was like to be treated as an outcast, for his own people crucified him and nailed him to a cross. And the heart, I guess, of her prayer can be summed up in her statement, I thought we were all children of God. And the song kind of, it's a, it's a significant moment in the film because the song establishes Esmeralda as a selfless, empathetic character with whom uh, Quasimoto, the main character, falls in love. It's a significant moment in the film because you get the idea that everyone mistreats these people. They pass by the needs of these people. And I think it's such a significant moment because it connects with us. We're familiar with us. We know how the world works. So often that is the world in which we exist. Generally, people pass by the needs of others. And the repetition in our parable this morning, he passed on the other side, I think has rhetorical monotony 
suggestive of the idea that such is the way of the world. This is the world in which we live. People pass by others who are in need. Now, as I said before, the priest and the Levite have special standing, religious standing in the community. We would expect both of these guys to have offered help because of their religious commitments, yet they passed by. Like the majority of people in this world, they are indifferent to the needs of this person. Frank Powell, a Christian writer, says, indifference keeps us small and locked in self-preservation. It's the sin that forces you to settle for less than you were created to be. It's the sin that numbs your heart and your capacity to feel. I like that last statement. It's the sin that numbs your heart and your capacity to feel. But Jesus moves on. He says, but a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was and saw him and took pity on him. Now, Jews and Samaritans don't get along. In fact, they hated each other. So this kind of interaction is unheard of. I reckon most in the audience who are listening to Jesus are going, oh, here, the priest, typical, tells us about God didn't do anything. The Levite, oh, yeah, tells us about he didn't do anything either. But when Jesus says a Samaritan stops, the entire audience, if they're Jewish, would not have liked that at all. The fact that the Jews actually applied to Jesus himself, the contemptuous name of Samaritan in John chapter 8, is an indication of the hatred between the two. It goes back to, to their history, of course. This, set, this is a, a Samaritan whose testimony would not have been admitted or accepted in a Jewish court. No Jew would so much as actually sit down and have a meal with a Samaritan. And this Samaritan actually shows spontaneous, perfect pity, of which neither the priest or the Levite had been remotely capable of. And he helps the victim. Now, some Bible scholars, when I read through some commentaries, said, you know, oh, he, he might not have known that the victim was a Jew. But most of the people who actually used this, this road were Jews. And so I think it's actually assumed. Remember, this victim is a Jewish man. He would have been excessively proud of his Jewish nationality or tradition, and tradition would not permit a Samaritan to touch him or minister to him. Unless he doesn't have a choice, in which this case he doesn't. The man was beaten within an inch of his life. He cannot refuse help because he is unconscious. Jesus goes on. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for extra expense that you may have. Oil and wine were kind of used for medicinal purposes on wounds and soothing inflammation, and, but they weren't cheap. And here is a man who gives both of them freely to this person in need. His own beast, his donkey, is given up, and he goes on foot. Interestingly, when, back in those days, when you actually walk in front of a donkey, leading the donkey, it was adopting a position considered to be servile. 
And so he puts the victim on the donkey and he leads a donkey. He takes the man to an inn, pays for his accommodation, fixes his wounds until he can recover from his injuries. Now, according to one historian I looked at, uh, Polybius, he actually says that the time was equivalent to two months' cost. Now, some other historians, uh, probably not that long, but when I read through some of the, the commentaries, whatever the case, it was for a long period of time that he paid for the cost. It wasn't overnight or for a couple of days. It was a lengthy time. Furthermore, he said, any outstanding cost will be paid for when the Samaritan returns or passes by. This is the most attractive picture of a person who did more than the minimum. He saw a person in need and he did all he could. The parable illustrates to us what it means to show love to thy neighbour. So very quickly, what can we take from this parable? The first, I think, is this. Kindness takes action. It's about practical help. It's not merely feeling sorry for someone. It's actually doing something. The Samaritan didn't pass by or ignore the one in need. He didn't look at the victim and say, oh man, you know what this road is like. There was no convoy, no caravan you were part of. You know the old cliche, safety in numbers. You didn't do that. This is your own problem. The Samaritan took action to do what he could do to help the wounded man. Remember, love is kind. In other words, love takes action and finds its expression through kindness. Kindness will give. Kindness will share. Kindness supplies what is lacking or needed. William Barclay, a great theologian, says, Compassion to be real must issue in deeds. Compassion to be real must issue in deeds. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people of the church, holy, that is set apart, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Secondly, kindness takes risks. The Samaritan was willing to put his possessions and even his life at risk to offer kindness to the one who was in need. He didn't examine the man's wounds and then calculate the cost. Well, can I afford this? How much is this? What can't I purchase if I actually give to this, this need? The Samaritan was willing to pay the price to do whatever it took to help this person. The price was paid without even a guarantee that he would actually get his money back. There's no guarantee that the man would repay him. But we don't only show kindness to those who we think deserve it or can repay it. And since kindness involves our time, our money, our resources, often it makes us vulnerable. The reality is when it comes to kindness, you can end up losing a lot. You are kind to people, I don't know if you've had this experience, who misunderstand your intentions and they, they respond negatively to you. Or you're kind to people who take advantage of you. And this will happen from time to time. I think it's just the reality of showing kindness to others. So we need to also be careful and wise. But don't forget, Jesus came into this world, showed nothing but kindness, and the response of the world was to nail him to a cross. 
Kindness takes action, kindness takes risks, and finally, kindness does not seek recognition. There was no need for anyone to see this act of kindness. Our kindness is not to elevate our reputation or to make us look good in the eyes of others. Real kindness does not seek to find self-glory. Instead, kindness gives glory to God by uh, emulating Christ-like qualities. That's what kindness is. So to conclude, in this simple parable, Jesus is telling us to follow the Samaritan's example in our own conduct. We are to show kindness uh, for those we encounter in everyday activities, for people who are in need. We are to be kind to others regardless of their race or religion. Remember, the only criterion is need. If they're in need, you show kindness. If they are in need and we have the supply, we give generously and freely. And as Tim mentioned last week, uh, when I thought about this, I thought, imagine this lawyer talking to Jesus. I wonder what he's thinking. What if he's thinking, this is impossible? Well, this is a big move, a big step, a big change in my thinking. I think it's almost impossible for the lawyer and for ourselves. We cannot always do the right thing because of our human condition. If we're honest with ourselves, our heart and desires are mostly about self and selfishness. And we continue as Christians to battle against that. And I think Tim reminded us of this last week, that we need to actually ask God to produce the fruit of kindness in our lives and make every effort to be kind. Only supernatural intervention, I think, can change us and make us more thoughtful and genuinely kind towards others, like Jesus. So ultimately, it is still a fruit of the Spirit, and therefore it is Holy Spirit-inspired. With God's help, we can set aside our thoughts of prejudice, our, our selfishness, and show loving kindness to others. Because kindness is God's love made visible in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness towards us, which is most demonstrated in the Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world to save us. We pray that through your Holy Spirit you would help us to show kindness towards those that we meet throughout this coming week and beyond. May we demonstrate Christ-like qualities in our life, this fruit. We pray, Lord, that you produce this fruit in our lives so that we can lift up the name of Jesus Christ and others may come to know him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.